Okay, well, it's about that time to get going, guys. Last week in our study of the Book of Romans, we started looking at the purposes of Paul in the conclusion to the Book of Romans. And as we have seen before, there's lots of insight even in the conclusion. It's outside of the doctrinal and the applicational portion, but there's lots in there, lots of insight, and hopefully we'll see that there's more in the same paragraph. We didn't complete it. So we'll look some more at uh, Romans 15, verses 14 through 21. One paragraph, packed full of insight. And dealing with the church at Rome that Paul had never visited, Christians that uh, lived in the city would have experienced different venues, like on the photograph there, Quite an impressive stadium, I guess you could call it, that was comparable to anything that you can see today in our culture. So Christians living in a culture that is antagonistic to believers, so probably we don't face anything like what they faced. So we have letters that are written to them that are applicable to us as well. And like I said, we're in the conclusion to the book of Romans. It's a long conclusion. Call it the conclusion of God's righteousness running from the middle of 15 through the end of chapter 16. I see four major subdivisions, purposes that we're going to look at some more today. Plans, 22 through the end of the chapter. Personal greetings, most of chapter 16. And then we have a conclusion that includes praise, verses 25 through 27. So let's take a look at the purposes that God has for Paul, or at least the purposes that Paul lays out in verses 14 through 21. First one is a purpose of commendation. So he's going to commend the believers, and it's very high commendation. We spent some time looking at that. They had... High character. They had godly character, summarized by the verse, full of goodness, or the phrase, full of goodness. And that came from a biblical grounding that Paul summarizes by saying, filled with all knowledge. Now, he's not just talking about secular or intellectual knowledge, but I think he's referring to their understanding of Scripture, biblical knowledge. So high commendation, and then the third thing that he mentioned, and we'll look at it again, able also to admonish one another, and I made the point that the word admonish is not necessarily and entirely a negative word, but actually one that has the idea of positives as well. So we could view it as the ability to disciple or the ability to counsel, and in fact, counselors today derive one of the descriptive words that they use to describe the type of counseling that they do from the Greek word that we have there. So we'll take another look at it. In fact, I'm going to take another quick look at even starting in verse 14, even though we completed looking at it. But we want to look at this passage from the perspective of ministry. And I think I mentioned in the the email that Paul is describing his ministry and the essence of his ministry we have in these these verses. And from that, we can draw principles for ministry in general. And we have stressed throughout our study that all of us that know the Lord Jesus Christ are, in fact, in the ministry. So lots of insight into what ministry is all about from a biblical perspective using Paul as he gives us insight into the ministry that God has given him. And even this commendation gives us an insight that I'll get to in a moment. But just a reminder, in this conclusion, we are looking at the nature of Paul's ministry. And some of that we will expound uh, today in the study that we're going to look at. But the conclusion also includes his focus And that also is in this passage, but it goes beyond this passage, and we'll see a little phrase and a couple of words 
to give us that focus. The main word is the gospel. That was the focus of his ministry. We'll see that. He gives a hint of the extent that will include even future plans concerning the extent of his ministry. But in this one, this paragraph, he outlines in broad strokes the extent of that ministry. And he also includes where he derives the power, and we'll see that as well. And he'll remind us of that later as well in other passages as well. So I mentioned last time, this is the Church of St. Paul in Rome. And it's believed that his bones are buried there. So we have a statue, at least of an artist's conception of what Paul may have looked like. And we visited this large church on the outskirts of the present city of Rome. This is the inside, what it looks like from the altar area, looking towards the back. I also mentioned that if you look at the people in the center of the slide there, there's a couple there gives you a perspective. Those columns are huge. The uh, building itself is huge, so it has quite a engineering element to it that is very, very impressive. So verse 14, and concerning you. So now in the conclusion, he's transitioning, focusing more on the readers and his relationship to them. My brethren, doesn't address them as peons, but brethren on the same level. He doesn't include his apostleship like he does in the introduction. Now, there's a lot of parallels between some of the things he says in the introduction and what he's going to remind in this conclusion as well. In the introduction, however, he addresses himself as an apostle. Here, on an equal basis, my brethren, I myself also am convinced And I've already outlined in the brief introduction this time, and we spent some more time, convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness. In other words, they have high moral character, Christian character, filled with all knowledge. In other words, there's a basis of biblical grounding to that goodness. And from that, they're able also to admonish and or we develop the concept of counsel, and or disciple one another. And one of the things that we can draw as an example from Paul's ministry, he's recognizing certainly not only his relationship in terms of brothers in Christ, but with this last little note, able also to admonish one another, he's assuming that they're actively doing that In other words, he has the biblical concept, and this is one of the passages that kind of gives us that concept, that all believers are, in fact, in the ministry. So the essence of the ministry is involving every believer that walks in the Spirit, that, in fact, desires to be used of God, and certainly God desires to to utilize those that uh, he's called to himself. And by the way, in the background, this is the photograph from the back of the church looking to the area of the altar in the front. And then there's another individual there that gives you a perspective of the size. But one of the things we can draw in terms of the biblical principle, and there's many, I've come up with at least 10. We could come up with a longer list, but I've got 10 listed. We probably won't get through all of them. But I think it's important Those of you that are in ministry, which is most of you, if not all of you, to some extent, we want to encourage those that we minister to that uh, they are, in fact, in ministry. And the natural response of even the new believer, you, you share the gospel, they trust in Christ, and there's this excitement within them. And in a lot of cases, they can hardly wait to tell their friends or their relatives or someone Uh, It almost is a compulsion to to share what they've experienced. And in essence, that's ministry. That's doing what God would want us to do in terms of sharing with others the things that he has done in us. And that's the essence of ministry. So from the very beginning, once a person trusts in Christ, that means all of us are in ministry. And Paul acknowledges that uh, the Romans are able to admonish one another. In other words, they have all of the equipping, 
all of the giftedness, all of the biblical grounding to, in fact, involve themselves in the lives of other believers. So the first principle that we can draw, not necessarily a priority or not necessarily in any order, but as it appears in biblical text, the awareness that all of us are in the ministry, all of us serve the, serve the Lord, we're all servants, we're all bond servants, and we all have a place. And part of the reason God has left us here is because he has a plan for us in terms of his ministry in reaching the world. So that's the first element that we have. Now, in the passage, beginning in uh, verse 15 and 16, we also looked at these last time and spent plenty of time looking at the details. Not only did Paul have a purpose of commending others, and the last thing that he commends them for is their ministry, the product or the outworking of their character and their biblical grounding. So a purpose to commend them for that, to encourage them by commending them. Secondly, he gives the purpose for writing the book of Romans. And he starts off just very clearly, but I have written, and he describes this writing very boldly. And we talked about some passages in uh, the the book, particularly the doctrinal portion, that are very bold, very clear, very explicit in terms of the lostness of man, etc. Very boldly to you on some points. So this isn't the entire soteriology, this isn't the entire theology, but on some of the most important ones in the area of the doctrine of salvation. And another important point, so as to remind you This kind of reinforces, as we said last time, that they're filled with all knowledge. So the the things that he's writing in the book of Romans for the majority of the church, perhaps, we don't have any numbers, but it seems like it was a solid group of churches, many churches, some of them home churches, we'll see in chapter 16. And they were overall well-grounded, probably well-familiar with soteriology, And Paul reminds them of things that they probably already know, maybe giving more depth, more organization, more step-by-step understanding of the doctrine of soteriology as you follow your way through the book of Romans. But part of the purpose is simply to remind, to remind again. And in that reminder, we can draw another principle particularly those that are involved in ministry, it's good to remind. That's one of the reasons I usually try to give a little bit of a review of what we talked about before, not only so that uh, we're not just jumping into a passage, but it also serves the purpose of reminding us. And this is our nature. We need to remind one another because the nature that we have is that we tend to forget So even though you may have heard, or maybe you've even gone through the book of Romans, or you may have studied the doctrines contained, soteriology, it is always good to be reminded and to go over the same things to solidify them and to bring them back to remembrance. And this is what Paul is doing here. And certainly when you're ministering to others, uh, you should be uh, freely reminding them of the things that you've already gone over and freshen them up, maybe giving a a new approach or a new way of saying the same thing by way of reminder. And if you look at books like the book of Deuteronomy, that whole book, the whole idea of reminding the children of Israel, that is a major theme of all of the book of Deuteronomy because the children of Israel, the new generation, had to be reminded of their past. They had to be reminded of what God had done in them and through them. And the book of Deuteronomy is a restating of the the law. So reminders are very, very important in ministry. And I'm not going to look at everything in the passage, but just focus on some high points. We went into detail here last time. Reminding them again because of the grace Now, the more I think about it, I should have highlighted that. The ministry that we are in is a ministry of grace. 
So if you're going to make a list, you could include it. I don't have it on my list, but you can include that everything that we are involved in is on the basis of grace. And in fact, God could far better, far more efficient, and far more in a more powerful way accomplish everything that he's called us to accomplish. But on the basis of grace, he has given us a ministry. He has given us an opportunity to accomplish things that he desires. Not because he needs us, not because he can't do it on his own, but uh, simply because graciously he has given ministry to us that we may have the joy of being able to enter into accomplishing the things that God desires to accomplish. So ministry in general is a work of grace that God grants us. And then we focused on the two words, minister, and the second word, minister as a priest. Now that phrase in the English captures just one one word in the Greek text, so the translators expand it, and I'm not going to go into the details on all of that, but the first word, the minister, is a word that we saw that is related from some of the verses that it's found to spiritual service, and particularly that of the priests and the Levites in the Old Testament, spiritual service or worship that uh, focused on sacrifice and within the temple involving uh, animals given to the Lord, offered up as sacrifices on an altar. And then the other one, minister as a priest, is a different word. In fact, uh, the word priest is part of the word there. And here we have only the verbal form. It appears in the noun form elsewhere. And it's to serve the gospel as a priest would be the kind of the broader description of the meaning of that, that verb that we have in the context. So Paul is exercising his ministry or describing the ministry that he has in a passage that is full of Old Testament worship imagery. Right. Even the words themselves. Jeff? Yeah, uh, that word, uh, uh, higher ghetto, doesn't that come from the word hieron, which is also for temple? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's all related, and priests... The word priest also is involved there. Yeah, exactly. Very good. One of the words for temple. In fact, the word associated with the structure itself. There's another word that describes temple mount that is a separate Greek word. Yeah, that's that's naos, isn't it? Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I didn't remember, but thanks for reminding me. And what I think we can draw from this, Paul knew what his ministry was all about. He knew what his spiritual gifts were. He knew the area that God had given him. And he had a clear vision of what God was going to do in terms of his life and his ministry. And from our perspective, we can draw a principle of knowing our giftedness. And it is very, very useful to know your gifts or your prominent gifts and any secondary gifts because those are the areas in which God is going to use you. And we talked in chapter, what was it, chapter 12, where Paul gives us more insight into spiritual gifts, and we developed the concept in more detail there. And the concept of every believer, just like every believer is in ministry, so also every believer, genuine believer, has at least one and usually a package of spiritual gifts. Paul, being fully aware of his giftedness, went out and freely ministered, utilizing those gifts that were given to him by grace. So if you don't know your spiritual gift or you're not clear on it, you would be well advised to uh, sharpen up your sense of what that giftedness is and then go about utilizing it. But you have to kind of be aware of it to begin with, in order to uh, be able to to exercise those gifts. And once you know those gifts, then you can uh, boldly, as Paul says here, he writes boldly. Now, you can also go out and minister boldly with the confidence that God has equipped you to be able to accomplish things that are beyond our 
our flesh, beyond our natural abilities. So that comes out of verse 16, knowing our giftedness. Again, Paul in verse 16, the emphasis of verse 16 is Paul as a priest. Now, we also mentioned Paul was of the tribe of Benjamin, so he was not strictly speaking a priest in the Old Testament sense. He probably viewed himself as a priest more in the New Testament sense. We also talked about the concept of the priesthood of the believer in the New Testament from a passage primarily in 1 Peter and also in the book of Revelation. We are a kingdom of priests, not Levitical, not in the sense of the Old Testament, but in the New Testament sense relating to the ultimate priest, the ultimate high priest, Jesus Christ himself. So Paul viewed himself as priest. Now we're going to see in 17 and 18, not only was he a priest, but he had spiritual gifts that enabled him to be a proclaimer, primarily of the gospel. And that's the emphasis of 17 through 19. So he's a priest, he's a proclaimer. And we're going to see in verse 20 that he also is a pioneer. So he had giftedness that uh, enabled him to minister analogous to the Old Testament priests in uh, using that language of offering up the Gentiles like an offering to God. And we're probably more familiar with Paul as a preacher, proclaimer, an evangelist, all of the areas involved in proclaiming the gospel message. And we're also going to see that as an apostle, in verse 20, he was a pioneer as well. We're alliterating here to help us to remember all of the ministries of Paul. So it's a little, not only review, but uh, another application of the verses that we looked at last time. So let's move forward, beginning of verse 17. And in verse 17, we're looking here, 17 through 21, Paul's purposes in relationship to the Gentiles. So 14, his purpose in commending and encouraging the Romans, his purposes in terms of writing and the relationship to his ministry, 15 and 16. And then in uh, 15, 17 through 21, we have the purposes in relationship to the Gentiles, beginning in verse 17. So therefore, in Christ Jesus... I have found reason for boasting. Wow, that's kind of a boastful statement. Found reason for boasting, but he qualifies it in the things pertaining to God. Now, I thought boasting was prideful, was not good, even sin. And uh, how do we kind of harmonize what Paul is doing here? And by the way, he uses this word quite often, the word for boasting, both in a verb form and in a noun form and even in an adjectival form. So what's this concept of boasting? Anyone want to suggest how do we harmonize what Paul is saying here and some of the thoughts that we have concerning the negative um, aspects? Okay. Hello. Maddie? Um, so I immediately thought about that passage in Jeremiah where... God is saying, let him who boasts, boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Okay. And that's, so, that's key. Yeah. Go ahead. Expand it. That's all you want to say. Mm. Right. Well, that's, that's all I was going to say. I mean, it just seems to tie in Absolutely. very perfectly. So that's exactly what Paul is doing all through his ministry, is boasting not in his own resources or efforts, but in what Christ has done on his behalf. Yep, very good. So he is, in fact, giving a positive perspective, and we'll look up a couple of other verses as well. But boasting in and of itself, like other things in Christianity, is not evil per se. So there's an aspect where it's actually even biblical to boast, but you have to boast in the right things. And kind of the balance, and there's some scriptures that lead us along these lines. Self-centered boasting, I think that's the difference. Self-centered boasting is sin. And there's some 
definite passages that indicate that concept. And I forgot to get my sheet handy that gives me my word study, but there's a passage in 1 Corinthians that essentially identifies this kind of boasting as sinful. In fact, evil, I think, is the word that is used in that context. The balance, the things pertaining to God, like the passage that Maddie reminded us of in Jeremiah, by the way. And by the way, it's in the context of boasting in terms of things that are not pertaining to God and warns us against them. But boasting in knowing God is the Jeremiah passage. But pertaining to God, and that's exactly what Paul says in this passage, in the things pertaining to God, we are not only free, but in fact, when we boast in those things, we're actually glorifying God because we're giving him the credit. And we're, it's a form of glorifying God. So let's look up a couple of passages that kind of expand on this idea. Would somebody care to look up 2 Corinthians 1 and somebody else look up 2 Corinthians 12? Anyone? I should have given you some heads up warning before I... I'll do 2 Corinthians. Go ahead, Liz. Hey, Ray, we got one. You got 12? Okay, Mike's got 12. Mike and or Katie and, and Connie... Connie, go ahead and read uh, 2 Corinthians 1, 12 through 14. Okay. For our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience, that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. For we are not writing any other things to you than what you read or understand, Now I trust you will understand even to the end, as also you have understood us in part, that we are your boast, as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus. Okay, and notice, not in the flesh. So there is a spiritual boasting that is not evil, not bad, but it's pertaining to what God has accomplished in the Corinthians, And they can even boast in what God has accomplished in Paul. So boasting is in and of itself neither good nor bad. But if it's self-centered, self-glorifying, I think that's the sin. But in the things that God has accomplished in us, it's glorifying to God to actually even boast. Let's see, where did Mike go? Yeah, you want uh, 12-1? 12-1. 12, 1, and then skip to 6. Okay, 12, 1. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable. But I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. And then 6. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I will refrain from this so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. So that gives you a little bit more insight. There's a fine line between self-centered boasting that is prideful and a proper, even in relationship to things that are going on in in us. Now, if you read from uh, verse 1 to 6, he's actually describing and in some way boasting over these visions that God had given him. In other words, these are things that God has done, so they're pertaining to him. So boasting in relationship to God, I think, actually glorifies God. So that's a little bit of a balance. In fact, if you want to do a word study, you're going to find a lot of other passages. In fact, Paul uses this word probably more often in the New Testament than any other writer So he talks a lot about it, and you'll find all of those passages if you do a word study. So the verse goes on, in things pertaining to God, and that's the key here. And then in verse 18 and 19, I put it together on one slide because it's uh, one long sentence. And let me first read it, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Now that kind of relates back to that boasting, what Christ is accomplishing through Paul, resulting in the obedience of the Gentiles by word and deed, in the power of signs and wonders, 
in the power of the Spirit, so that from Jerusalem and roundabout, as far as Illyricum, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. Now, you might even say there's a lot of boasting there. He's boasting that he has fully preached the gospel of Christ. Yeah, but he's also boasting on what Christ has accomplished in him and the results of what God has done, the obedience of the Gentiles. Uh, He's boasting in the power of signs and wonders and the power of the Holy Spirit, the extent of his ministry from Jerusalem to Illyricum. You could even classify that as boasting, but those are the things pertaining to God. And I think the key there, except what Christ has accomplished through me. And in fact, I'd like to expand that and talk a little bit more about the concept of ministry in terms of ministry being God's ministry. I've already mentioned a little bit about it in terms of God desiring to utilize us, which is a interesting concept. God could, as I've said, accomplish everything on his own far more efficiently, far more rapidly, far more effectively than anything that we could do. But uh, God has also chosen and desires, we have kind of the essence of that in 17 through 18, he desires to use us to accomplish the things that he is doing in the ministry. So let's take a look at these passages, and I'd like for some of you to look them up and read. So somebody look up Acts 14, somebody 15, 2 Corinthians is a good one. And why don't we look all of them and see the emphasis. And this is only a sampling of several other passages that we could include in a list that kind of gives us the sense that the ministry is a ministry that God is desiring and God is accomplishing. And we simply, there's a second principle I'm going to add here, we are simply his instruments. So... I'll take 1 Thessalonians 2.13. That's Connie. Okay, you got the last one. Yeah, I see. Okay, Denise? I'll take Acts 14.27. Great. Who's got 15.12? Anyone? I do. Okay, who's the I do? Geneva. Geneva. Okay. Second Corinthians 10. Oh, I'll do Second Corinthians 10. That's Katie and Colossians 1. I got it. Okay, Steve, go ahead. Okay, Acts 14, 27, and notice a couple of key phrases in there. Who, Ready? Who had that one, Denise? Yes, uh-huh. Acts 14, 27. Now, keep Six, it. Now, let me, let me uh, give the context. This is Paul and Barnabas. They're giving a report of what God did on that first missionary journey. Okay, now read the verse. When they had arrived and gathered the church together, they began to report all the things that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. Okay, all the things that God had done The second part, the second little phrase, with them or through them. And then God is the one that opened up the door of ministry to the Gentiles. So God is the one that is working to accomplish the things that he wants to accomplish. And in 14, Paul and Barnabas were his instruments. 15.12, Acts 15.12. Then all the multitude kept silent and listened to Barnabas and Paul declaring how many miracles and wonders God had worked through them among the Gentiles. Okay. Now that's at the Jerusalem Council, and now they are giving a report to the Jerusalem Council. Now Acts 14.27 is Paul and Barnabas' report to the church at Antioch. So now this is in... uh, Jerusalem and the church council, and they're reporting again what God accomplished, but coupled with that through them. Second Corinthians 10, verse uh, 13, and then skip to verse 15. 17. Okay. Verse 17, yeah. 17, yeah. 
But we will not boast beyond our measure, but within the measure of the sphere which God apportioned to us as a measure. Okay, to notice, reach even as notice, far as you. Yeah, notice they're boasting, or Paul is boasting. There's the word again. Go ahead. Sorry to interrupt you. Oh, sure. But he who boasts is to boast in the Lord. Wow, that couldn't be more clear. Yep. Okay, but notice again in that context, and that's why I chose that passage. It has the word boasting, but it's in the context of things that God is accomplishing amongst the Corinthians and uh, the involvement of Paul. Colossians one twenty nine. Was that Steve? Yeah. Uh, for this purpose also I labor, striving according to his power, which mightily works within me. Notice the two things again. Paul is striving. He's putting in the effort. He's doing the ministry. But it's in the power that God gives that he is able to accomplish anything. So ministry is spiritual. Ministry is what God is accomplishing. Ministry is something that God desires that he involve us. So you have the balance there. And like I said, these are just a few of the passages. Connie, do you want to read 1 Thessalonians 2.13? Very similar. For this reason, we also thank God without ceasing, because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. Okay, so Paul is the preacher. Paul is the one that delivered the word, but it's the word of God. In other words, he is the one that not only gave it, but is the one that is working through that word that uh, Paul's delivering to the Thessalonians. There's a, Ray, I have a question. Okay. When you're talking about boasting, isn't that similar to when we give a testimony of what God has done in our lives? That's a form of boasting, yeah. Bragging about what God has done, yes. Yeah, I think the same concept. It's just striking to hear the word boasting because we think so much in terms of pride and building up ourselves, but there's a proper sense. So, yeah, that's hey, Ray, that would be a similar description. Steve? I don't, it reminds me, I don't know of who of you have seen or when, uh, if any of you saw uh, the Olympics, there was a woman who ran the 400-meter hurdles, and I if any anybody's ever been involved in athletics or anything that takes a lot of time and effort, it's it's a monster of a hill to climb. And so she was interviewed. I know she could have said, "This is how much work I did. This is how much sacrifice uh, it cost me. This and that." She didn't mention any of that, but she did, you know, praise God that he gave her the opportunity, he gave her the strength and effort to do what she did, and she absolutely, without question, gave glory to God for all that it took to get her to that point when she won the gold. Yeah, yeah. And I love it when athletes do that. I don't know if any of you heard any of the interviews last week. One of the stars of the... uh, prior game before the one last yesterday was uh, Manny Logan Green. He's a wide receiver and he also receives kickoffs and he's a punt returner. Nice interview and like three times in the interview he kept giving glory to God. In other words, he said, oh, I just thank God to give me the the ability, the oppor- and on another occasion, the opportunity to be here It was a nice little testimony, but giving glory to God throughout. That's what we have encapsulated here. Like Steve says, you as an an athlete, you put in the effort, put in the time, the sweat, the dedication, but uh, you also recognize that it's God that gives you the opportunity and the ability. Is that Geneva? Yeah. Uh, I was listening to a radio program uh, this week, and I'm not sure if the same athlete that Steve was talking about that won gold, but 
anyway, an Olympic athlete went back to, um, I guess, a high school, I believe, and was uh, 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 going to be involved with a, a school program somewhere. And I don't remember where, but anyway, um, and I don't know who the athlete was. So, but anyway, I heard that um, the, the uniforms that were being used on the team were gay pride. And this athlete uh, uh, turned down, she quit her job basically uh, because she felt like that was not uh, 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 what God would have her to do. And she said, who knows, maybe I won the Olympics, won the, you know, got got to the position of winning at the Olympics for such a purpose as this. Wow. Yeah. So she stood up for her faith. Um, and it, you know, so anyway. Yeah, that's, that's good. And it's a good pattern to follow and a good rec good attitude to keep in mind. You know, we're in the midst of doing lots of things. I know most of you are in ministry and you spend hours and I know that you're conscious that it's God that ultimately is accomplishing anything that we are involved in. But we need to keep that in mind and give him the, the glory and, in fact, even boast in him, as we said. But notice the two components as well. And I should have highlighted the I there. For I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished there's two elements here. You don't want to minimize your involvement as well. You don't want to magnify it. You want to magnify what God is doing, but you also need to acknowledge that uh, we are involved. God has desired to use us. So you have, as we tried, I tried to emphasize those verses that we read. It's God that's accomplishing things in the ministry, but he uses us as instruments so what Christ has accomplished through me, in other words, Paul doesn't deny that he's involved. The end of the verse there, I have fully preached the gospel of Christ. So he's not diminishing his involvement, but he has the proper balance of we, we dedicate ourselves, we put the effort in, and we are involved, but we are simply the instruments that God wants to use. And this kind of goes through all of the passages. It starts in verse 14. My brethren, I myself, so he starts off speaking of himself, also am convinced. So he's going to relay in terms of commending the uh, Romans, but he is involved. Verse 15, but I have written very boldly. This is the letter that Paul has written. Now, he would acknowledge through the inspiration and inerrancy of Scripture and the moving of the Holy Spirit within him to write and God giving him the insights to write. But he wrote it. I have written very boldly. So you see this theme. And then you have the, the passage here, 18 and 19. Also in 17, Therefore in Christ I have found reason for boasting, Notice the I again, verse 20. And thus I aspire to preach the gospel. This is his motivation, his desire to preach the gospel. And there, not where Christ was already named, that I might not build upon another man's foundation. So another element of ministry is not denying our part and recognizing that we have a part, but we humbly acknowledge that anything that is accomplished is what God is doing, as all of the verses that we looked at indicate. So number five on our list, or if you want to use the grace there in uh, was it verse 14, was it? You can add it. So this would be number six, that we are ministry instruments. Now, I appreciate the prayer warriors on the lists that I have. And oftentimes I will, not so much tongue in cheek, but in 
in a very real sense, acknowledge that really they are doing the heavy lifting in terms of ministry. And somewhat in tongue-in-cheek, I will mention that I just try to show up to the places that I've committed to and just to, to see what the prayer warriors have been praying all about. That's that sense that uh, the prayer warriors are really the ones that are doing the heavy lifting in terms of what God is accomplishing, and I'm more of an observer looking at and enjoying the ministry of the prayer warriors. So there's a balance there. God's ministry and we are the instruments of that ministry, and that's by God's design. Ray? Go ahead, Jim. Uh, yeah, well, it, it, here and, and so many other places in Scripture, I'm sure others here notice it too, uh, that the place where this all takes place is in Christ. Absolutely, yep. In fact, true ministry, and I'm glad you said that, lots of little phrases, not only in Christ, but all of the passages that speak of ministry in the power of the Holy Spirit, ministry as our as we walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, when we are in the flesh, that short circuits the work of the Spirit within us to accomplish things. We can do the same thing in the flesh. In other words, I can stand up in front of a group and try to teach the Word and maybe even give some good insights in the flesh. But if it's in the flesh, it's not going to have the same impact as God working through the Spirit. So, yes, in Christ. Very good. Hey, Ray, can I add a couple of verses to the concept of posting and instruction not to? So, in addition to your scriptures in 1 Corinthians, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 3 verse 21, and of course that's in a paragraph, but Paul is addressing these factions among the church in Corinth that like, well, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Christ, and they're kind of pitting against each other. Mm -hmm. And Paul says to them um, in 20 or in 21, so let no one boast in men. Right. That's right. For all things belong to you, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death. Right. And then later in chapter four, he's still following through with this theme. And he picks up in verse seven for who regards you as superior. What do you have that you did not receive? Right. And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you have not received it? So um, that follows along with. Um, what being in Christ and what God is doing in us as a result, like, and what we are doing as a result of his gifting. Yes, absolutely. Very good. And that was one of the verses I had in mind. Self-centered boasting is in men is, is, is sin and it's spoken against by Paul. Norman, did you have a comment? Oh, yeah. I was just going to say, in light of what the fellow just said, the TEV in verse 17 says, In union with Christ, then, I can be proud of my service for God. Yep, yep. In union with Christ, in Christ. Joe, did you have a comment? You get your mic on. Uh, yeah, I wanted to know which scriptures you were referring to just before. You mentioned verses 20, and uh, I, I'm not sure which other ones. But well, that was 50, that's the chapter 15 in Romans. Yeah, I read part of 14 and 15, and I read part of 17, and then I skipped. And then we were looking at 18 and 19 on the screen, then I skipped to 20. So, that's so can, you, can you restate that? 14, 15, 17? Yeah, just go in there and see where... Paul is emphasizing what he is doing in 14 and in 15. There's more. These are just kind of overt. And in 17, I have found reason for boasting. Paul, I. Then 20, thus I aspire to preach the gospel. Yeah, just he's not diminishing himself, but he gives credit to not only the source of power, And in reality, the essence of ministry is God's ministry. So there's a balance there. And let's conclude with this one. By word and deed, in other words, 
Paul is saying, I tried to live a life that communicated as well. In other words, Christ accomplished things through me by not only the things that I spoke, and in this case, writing the book of Romans, but in uh, my actions. In other words, his life was in accord with his preaching. And when uh, our words are not in accord with our life, we call that hypocrisy. So what Paul basically is saying is ministry that is in the spirit, in Christ, accomplished by the Lord, requires that, and this is the part that we play. In other words, we keep our life in balance and we need to live a life of integrity, you might say. So personal integrity makes for more effective ministry as well. So we can uh, stop with personal integrity and I've got at least four more. In fact, I might add that grace one in there and that will give us even 11. So at least six or seven elements of ministry, all of us are involved. It's good to be reminded in ministry and remind those that we are ministering to of principles that we've gone over. Paul is doing that with the Romans. It is very important to know what areas we are gifted in and we, we need to prioritize those areas and uh, probably avoid getting into areas that we're not gifted in because we're not going to be effective. Recognizing probably the main point that we want to make today is that all of ministry is the Lord's. It's His, and He is the one that is accomplishing it, and we are humbly acknowledging that, but we don't also want to diminish the part that we play, but we are instruments that God desires to use. And in accomplishing ministry, we want to stress the need for personal integrity. Hey, Ray, I have a, a comment about the, the giftedness. Okay. Um, I've heard um, a different uh, perspectives on that. And I'm, you know, I'm of the opinion that, because I've seen it in my own life, I don't know if we're given a package at um, birth, uh, conversion, so to speak, and that uh, those gifts uh, at birth are complete, or if um, God develops them as he puts us in different places of ministry, uh, or as he directs us to minister, or if uh, those gifts uh, that were given at conversion suddenly become operative, so to speak, uh, and maybe they are operative in different seasons of life, um, depending on the need of the of the hour, so to speak. So, wh- uh, would you comment on that? Okay. Ray, well, this is Bill. I'd like to comment on that if I could. Sure, go ahead, Bill. Uh, Geneva, the First uh, Corinthians twelve seven tells us that the gifts are the Holy Spirit. So it is a misunderstanding to think the gift is something given to you for you to go off and do. It is how the Holy Spirit chooses to work through you. First Corinthians twelve seven, and so it's it's a matter the the Holy Spirit can choose to work through you in a particular way anytime He chooses. But he often chooses to work in a consistent way through you. And that's what we call a gift. But biblically speaking, the gift is the Spirit, and it's how the Spirit chooses to manifest himself to you. It's like uh, an old incandescent light bulb, if you can remember back to those. The, The globe is just what the light comes through. The light's created inside in the filament, and the globe just transmits it. And the Holy Spirit is the light, and we're just the transmitter. So the gift is the Holy Spirit. It's not something given to us where God then shakes the dust off his hands and walks away. Well, I have a slightly different view, but I'll leave that stand. But in terms of your, I think 
whether it is the Holy Spirit or individual capabilities. I view it more as a capability that the Spirit gives, certainly. In fact, you can't divorce the Spirit. But I would say that it is at spiritual birth. And there is, I think, development. I think you, I think if you have the gift of teaching, you probably should uh, sharpen that in however way that you uh, you can. It's not necessary that you go to seminary, but I think you need to spend a lot of time studying so you develop. You develop gifts, I think, but I think God gives them at birth. If you want to view them as a package, I, you know, I, I don't I don't know that He gives more gifts later on. I think sometimes we discover them as we grow, and also as we have need. They come to the surface, if you will, or they come uh, become more evident as we're put in a situation and God wants us to minister and we find out, mm, okay, God used me. But uh, yeah, we have those four lists and they do seem to be lists that identify particular, what I would say, spiritual ability and enablement. Right. Right. Yeah, Jeff. Yeah, I was thinking maybe the word empowerment. Yeah. I would use that empowerment. Yep. Well, closing slide here. Sharpen your ministry with insights from Paul's ministry. And we'll gather some more as we get further into the passage. On that topic we just had, I was going to read uh, 1 Corinthians twelve seven from the TEV. The Spirit's presence is shown in some way in each person for the good of all. And then in uh, Ephesians 4, 7, each one of us has received a special gift in proportion to what Christ has given. So they're like, uh, I don't know which one to go with, but I do know that whenever I've been given one of these tests, whatever office I am in, I score high on that test. Mm -hmm. Okay. So if I'm in a pastor's office, I score high. You know, these these questionnaires pastors give out today. Uh, So anyway, I happen to notice that. Okay. Yeah, the manifestation of the Spirit. Bill is taking that in verse 7 as the Spirit himself. And I tend to make a distinction between, I think the Spirit manifests himself in other ways as well, besides spiritual gifts. So anyway, we uh, we can discuss that further. And be Bereans, be Bereans and check it out and let the Spirit guide you. The big topic I was going to mention way earlier was, uh, could Paul also have been doing a little advanced work in his plan, especially as he's coming to the close of this book? Yeah, absolutely. That's what he's doing. That's most of what he's doing in the conclusion here. In fact, we haven't got to the main part of that, but yes. Okay. We need to get into our prayer time, so, well, let's do it. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love and care for us. Uh, we thank you that um, anything that we can accomplish we it can only be happen through you. Um, we thank you that um, you are actively at work in the lives of Phyllis and the Pertzers to accomplish your desires through them in ministry. And to that end, Lord, we pray for uh, their protection, uh, their uh, travel and your journey mercies upon each of them. Uh, Father, that you would uh, show yourself mighty in your protection of them. The same with Sharon and this hernia surgery that's coming up, Lord, that you would mightily protect her and provide for her as far as um, surgery and recovery Uh, for our unsaved loved ones, Lord. um, I lift them up to you that in the days to come, they would each be given a new revelation of who you are um, for when I say this, I, I think also of Ray's friend um, who he's been meeting with and the Jewish guy, whoever that is, Lord, you know who that is. 
We thank you for your watch care over Janie in the hospital. I pray that her recovery would be amazing uh, because of you, that it would bring you glory. And we pray that this God loves you tour would bring you glory as well, Lord. Um, for everyone who's volunteering, uh, that you would keep them safe, um, that you would uh, give them again uh, the ability to minister in your name uh, so that you get all the glory. 